You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice, a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network in partnership with ReCity and Coastal Credit Union. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers. And we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person. And that starts with our personal Personal check-in. Let's do it. All right. Well, we're back. Welcome. Um, Welcome Hey, friend. Are you there since we're doing this over the phone still? I'm here. I'm here. And can I say that I is good for my soul that we have added video Zoom as a component to this, like to be able to see you and to to try to mimic uh, what it's like to sit across the table from you. I I miss that. I do. I miss that. I think there's so... It's so powerful to be in the same room together to talk about these issues. And, and really, honestly, it's difficult to do it from home and try to recreate the community, I feel, when we're together. So uh, I'm thankful for yeah. your willingness to try. Uh, we're, we're, for our listeners, we're getting a little ambitious here. We're, we're trying to juggle multiple aspects <laughs> of technology, and I'm not one that does that well, typically. <laughs> You're doing great. And for our listeners, Rob's in his closet. So I, I think I see your ties maybe to the left, or I don't maybe. know. Maybe you do. Yeah, my tie collection. Are those mostly, your ties? Yeah. It's mostly so, Dr. You know, Christmas ties. That's kind of mostly what I have. Oh, that's cute. That's real cute. Your you're, background you're is... You're such a dad. I am. I am. Your background is way more inspirational. I was telling you this as we were preparing. Was like You've got like a dream board with to-do lists and like your life goals. Yeah behind you. I'm looking at it and I don't understand it, but I'm inspired because it makes me want to go plan my life. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is quite, it is quite ambitious. I'm lot for my, our listeners, I'm launching a new company. And so my plan is on the wall. I took pictures down off of, I guess this is kind of our check-in. Are we checking in? Yeah, we are. This is. I'll just keep rolling and then I'll ask you how you're doing and then we'll run it back. So okay. I think this is so, great. <laughs> so for our listeners, I'm starting a new company around this idea of reinvention and it's for women and it's around transformational leadership and this journey that we take as women many times during our lives, careers, where we reinvent ourselves. And so I'm launching that in about two or three weeks, a course called the Reinvention Roadmap. And I will also be launching a podcast with women called the Reinvention Road Trip. And so what Rob is looking at is the plan. He's looking at the full-on map. It's the the map of my map. <laughs> I'm honored. So, I'm honored that I would yeah. get a sneak peek to all the things. I'm, I'm so excited hearing about this and I cannot wait for it to roll out. I'm so glad you, you mentioned that because our, our listeners are going to be in for, for a treat. So there's going to be more to come, yeah. more details as the wall becomes more, alive. Yeah, that's right. More to come, more to come. And for also for our listeners, before I kick it over to you, Rob, my son is interning with me. So I think some of our listeners are like, what is your son still doing? Like, how does this, he's still sleeping. So he will still be up at one o'clock today. And then we have a standing two o'clock meeting every day, standing two o'clock. So he gets up at one, he gets himself together. And then he's at this desk and we are working until five. And then, you know, whatever we do, dinner and all that. So he puts in a couple of hours a day. I love that. I love how yeah. exact opposite our daily schedules are because <laughs> one o'clock is when your son's life gets started. And one o'clock is like my first break of the day because our four kids are now in nap time. 
<laughs> we've been oh, up, for, we've been up yes. since six together and that's you know that's it's seven yeah, hours yeah that's it's totally opposite that's yeah. cute so what else is going on in the house though i mean you guys are have to be getting creative these days to keep trying. the kids trying, excited yeah. and focused so we i feel like in quarantine we are you know we talk about being innovative in our jobs right but like innovative at home too right i mean we're shout out to all my parents out there that are like reinventing their own reinvention roadmap, right? Of yeah. parenthood 101 when you don't want to just stick them, your kids in front of Netflix for eight hours a day. I'm getting really good at finding like greenways and trails that our kids can go on that are still relatively safe to do, right? Um, yeah, good. My wife and I just got a new cookbook. So we were experimenting last night with some homemade pretzels, which were nice. a, a home run, uh, I you know. I don't eat a lot of pretzels in my life unless I'm at the mall, and I'm not at the mall a lot these days, right? So we're bringing the mall home to us. I uh, love it. Aunt Annie's, can we give her a shout-out? I think that's the name of the pretzel company, Aunt, Aunt Annie's or whatever. Those. I have to ask you, are you more of a like a salted pretzel person or a cinnamon sugar pretzel person? I'm definitely salted, lightly salted. So See, like, I'll get all that salt, and I, I brush it off. Just a little bit of salt. <laughs> that's that's the beauty of this podcast, right? Like the, the the richness and diversity of perspective. Because I am I am a thousand percent cinnamon sugar. Like, give me <laughs> you can't you can't put too much on there. Like, there's no wow. there's no such thing. That's yeah. so cool. We are so different in so many ways. Yet the foundation is still the pretzel. It is the front. The found uh, that man. Wow, I love that you just took it there. That is deep. That is the deepest pretzel metaphor I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting a little loony being in isolation. That's true. You and I, you and I are thinking. Connection. You and I are thinking that's a great example. And people who are listening to this are like, "Wow, they've they've lost it. They need to be around more people soon." Yes, yes, we do. That's true. But let's let's uh, shift a little bit. Yeah, I literally had to take my glasses off and read my eyes. That was so funny to me. <laughs> Well, listen, there's really no way. I mean, we're we're doing this because we're we're still observing what we are what we have been invited to observe to make sure that we're taking care of our families and those around us, which is our staying at home order here in North Carolina. And so for our listeners, whenever you listen to this, it could be in two years, just know that we're still kind of in the throes of this pandemic and things are continuing to develop. One of those latest developments, which Rob and I have alluded to from the very beginning of this that we suspected we were going to start to see data come out around how it's disproportionately affecting certain communities. That data is starting to show up and articles are now being thoroughly written and investigated more thoughtfully around why that's happening. And so that's what we're going to be unpacking today is just the disproportionate effect of the coronavirus or COVID-19 on the Black community. And it was interesting, Dr. Fauci, who leads the Infectious Disease Center, just was quoted last week saying, health disparities have always existed for the African-American community. Okay, we know that. Um, He's saying coronavirus, right, is shining a bright light on how unacceptable that is because yet again, when you have a situation like the coronavirus, African-American community suffers disproportionately. And he then goes on to say, now we're going to get over coronavirus, but there will still be health disparities, which we really need to address in the African-American community. And so that's not code. That's just a very broad way of saying that our communities 
as we have been shining a light on, are always fighting for equity, are always fighting to be put on a level playing field. And here comes this pandemic, this worldwide pandemic, and the cracks in the system and the unconscious bias of those of us that we espouse to, in many cases, espouse to think that we're all sort of on this level playing field, even those unconscious bias are starting to show through. And the the losers in this are, once again, those in the African-American community. That's the setup, really. That's sort of that big, broad stroke of why we're talking about this. We're talking about this in a pandemic, but then once again, justice does, and injustice shows its ugly head, right? right. And right. here we have people and family members and community members and loved ones and those on the TV that we'll never meet and see that are suffering and dying unnecessarily in many cases because of not just this virus, but because of systems. Right, right. So Which is, why don't you talk about these articles? Yeah. I mean, Rob and I have spent a little bit of time reading some, you know, some of the in- intellect wonks out there trying to unpack this for us. And frankly, it wasn't that hard of a read. It's logical. It's logical yeah. if you just think it through. So, yeah. I, th- I think we need to frame up this conversation, right, Jess? So, like, today, it's just going to be me and you really helping. Oh, yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, we, we, we say this in every episode, uh, or you do, so eloquently. We're here to process. We're here to help you process. And that's what we're here to do today is to help you process this information and we'll, by inviting you in to how we're processing this information from our different perspectives. And yeah. that, that's our guest, right? Our guests are going to be these two articles. Usually we bring in someone with, with lived experience or expertise around a certain issue, but I think that the two of us are going to lean into our own lived experience in this by really focusing on two articles. One was from the New Yorker called The Black Plague, which has come out recently, which is a really thorough read. If you haven't read that, I, I would encourage you to read both of these articles. There's so many others, but I think for a start, if you're unfamiliar with wading into these waters and the research that's coming out, the other one is by the Brookings Institute of Why Are Blacks Dying at Higher Rates from COVID-19? And I'm, I'm just going to set up the conversation with a couple stats that are really, they're hard, but they're important. And we've got to, we've, we can't look away from the realities of, of, what these statistics show us and what they say, what do they say about us? And we have to ask the question of why. So the article kind of, the Black Plague article kicks off pretty early in referencing this old African-American saying of when, when white America catches a cold, black America gets pneumonia. And that unfortunately with the coronavirus, it now has a new really morbid twist of when America catches the coronavirus, black Americans die. And then it goes on to to mention the statistics that really validate that point. This is nationwide. Counties that are majority black have almost six times the rate of coronavirus-related deaths than counties that are majority white, according to a Washington Post analysis from early April. On Easter Sunday, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, said African-Americans in her city accounted for 72% of the virus-related fatalities, even though they only make up 30% of the population. In Michigan, 40% of the deaths were in the black community, even though only 13% of the state's population is black. Louisiana, only 33% of their population is African-American, but African-Americans comprise 70% of the dead. And then taking it to our home state, that's right, like in our backyard, although black North Carolinians only make up 22% of our population, they make up 38% of the people who have died from COVID so far. These numbers, like to me, you can get numb to numbers, but then looking at this article that actually puts our state up against some of the worst disparities across the nation and seeing it in a graph, I mean, yeah. it, it, it is sobering stuff. 
well, that we were only compared to four states. We were one of four states in that Brookings That's right. uh, That's article. Right. So North Carolina was called out. I mean, there are 50 states, and they chose four. We were one of them. So That's right. That says a That's lot. Right. It does. And then the last one that really is also haunting is that testing in higher-income neighborhoods is six times greater than it is in poor neighborhoods, which right. is an economic stat, right? Not a racial stat, but isn't it, though? Right. We're going to talk about how we, we know that that is relevant to this conversation. So I think the question we got to ask ourselves is why? Why are these stats the way that they are? And really, both of these articles do a good job of kind of wading into as comprehensively as you can. This is a huge issue that goes back a, a really long time. But I think that we've got to do our best to try to wade into these waters and, and process yeah. this stuff. So I think that when you hear these stats, you it begs the question, why? And I think that's right. the, that's what we're going to do today is we're going to ask why, and we're going to try to do that as thorough as we can with the disclaimer that we know we're not going to hit everything. And I think that's always important to put a disclaimer out there when you talk about race is that it is a can be a painful topic for some of our listeners. It is one that is, I think people are, are very passionate about and, and have very strong opinions about. And so I think when you frame this up, you have to know, hey, what, what we're trying to do here is to help you process and to just, just begin to skim the surface a little bit on how vast this issue is and how long it has been that 400-year-old tree that we talk about, right? So we're not going to be able to dig that tree up together in the course of one episode, but we want to start the conversation because it is, I feel a duty for us that we, we have to talk about this stuff and the inequality and inequities that are starting to be found in this research. So I think to me that the way to summarize that is to focus on three different areas to frame up for our listeners, which would be how we see racial inequality and injustice right now through COVID in jobs and employment and healthcare and in the criminal justice system. So I'll start with, let's jump into jobs. So we yeah. talked on a previous episode that this idea that social distancing is not something that everyone has the luxury of doing and quarantining, right? Not to say that quarantining is easy for everybody, 100%. Everyone is being challenged in different ways. But when you look at this through the lens of race, and this is one of the articles quoted, this fewer than 20% of African-Americans have jobs that allow them to work at home. Black right. workers are concentrated in public-facing jobs, working in mass transit, home health care, retail, and service where social distancing is virtually impossible. Yes. That was a stunner for me, the 20%. I don't know why, but I was surprised by that a little bit. And that's true. Blacks are more likely to be part of this sort of what they're calling essential workforce, which is debatable, I think. Who determined what was essential? You know, you hear that story about or stories, there's many stories out there around the food processing plants, specifically the one in Georgia, the Tyson plant, right? Where mm -hmm. it's just like a woman gets sick and she's like, I'm really not feeling well. I have the chills and that, you know, all these things. And she was told, you know, you need to come to work and you still need to come to work. And so she did. She ends up dying and two other people at that point that the story had passed away and others were infected. But this sort of like, is it though, is the Tyson chicken plant? Like, how can they do, how can you do this in a way that serves the public? Because that is the point, right, is being able to have the food supply continue to move, but also serve the workers and not sacrificing workers for the sake of this greater good, which is what is not being said. But I felt like in that article, that sort of what, again, isn't my opinion, is how I took it. It was like sacrificial lambs for the greater food supply for America. And I'm like, well, I'm sure that her family don't see it that way. Mm. 
for the families yeah. of others, you know, at that Tyson plant. And so, you know, that concerns me a little bit, but, but to your point, right. So eight that, so 20% have the luxury like me to stay at home. 80% do not because they fall into these other categories mm. and are serving us in different ways, right. And are considered this essential workforce. So I, I just think it's important to remember that population breakdown as we unmask the inequities here. Like if we unmask it and call it for what it is, it makes us like to the point of this podcast makes us more proximate to an issue because a lot of us want to say it's not, I don't really see how race plays into this and everything, you know, okay. So I'm a black woman and I'm going to say this, but ever it's always a race issue. Why has it always got to mm. come down to race? Mm. Because it's a race issue. And because mm. of this country made it an issue, made right. this, created these systems to create racial issues so that people were disproportionately impacted and suffer from injustice more so than others on purpose. And so when we have a pandemic like this that affects everyone, those cracks and those systems will rise to the surface. I mean, yeah. you yeah. can't you can't not look at it anymore. Sorry. Yeah, so, and that's the, anyway. And I, I feel I think I even feel victim to that initially you hear these isms, right, that come out early in the, the COVID of like the virus doesn't care what you look like. The right. virus, it almost is like a unifying thing. Like, and the people who are saying that, like, yeah. um, I, I will point out though, no people of color said that to me, right? Like that, that's not yeah. who you heard it from, but these ideas are like, you're it's talking a about. Like, yeah, it's, the, it's a, a great equalizer. Sorry. It's a great equalizer. That great equalizer. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so I think, and, and that's a, it's a question that's worth asking, right? Like, is the virus racist? No, but these fissures you talk about, and if the virus is introduced to a society that has been intentionally disenfranchising certain groups and marginalizing them for centuries, then the people who are have fallen through those cracks, it's almost like you, you think about it as like floodwaters, right? When a flood comes over a valley, where's your house? And if you're if you have never been allowed to build up your house because you have been you gotta be stay low or you're literally like pits have been metaphorically dug for you or not metaphorically like you're living on the ground or below the ground then guess what that water doesn't have to be racist to still affect you harder because you're going to die first and faster yeah yeah exactly well so that's just one area yeah. we can kind of unpack that some more but i think that's an important just and not a it's not obvious but i think people are starting to see that yeah the the folks that are serving me and are, are creating an opportunity of comfort for at least on my end, my, the 20% of us in the African-American community that are able to stay at home, it's usually our black brothers and sisters who are serving us to make sure that, that, that we have a comfortable space while we shelter in place. And then what about healthcare? Healthcare is always so fascinating. The history and that blacks and healthcare that relationship is so sorted, you know? I, know, I mean, that is, whoa. And in a time like this, when you, when you need folks to go out and get tested and mm. you want people to have a good relationship with medical p providers, because it truly is life or death, that history sort of comes forward and can take it off its rails. Right. And yeah. you find that families and elders don't want to go, you know, I, I just have a cold or it's just a little bit of a cough or whatever, and it ends up being COVID. And there's so much to healthcare. And there's a quote in here in general that says that Blacks relative to whites are more likely to live, and we know this, in neighborhoods with a lack of healthy food options, green spaces, recreational facilities, lighting, safety, right? We get all that. 
Blacks are also more likely to live in densely populated areas. Again, that's historic too, you know, the migration, the great moving up north and being in those in our cities and finding work, right, and taking care of our families. So densely populated areas, heightening the potential contact with other people. Again, that's obvious. Blacks represent about one quarter of all public transit users. We're also less likely to have equitable health care access, meaning the hospitals are further away and pharmacies are subpar. So the access issue plays into it. And I want to just point out that, again, about a week ago, it was on the call with the White House. They sent out a conference call for folks who are in industries that may be able to support other groups and communities. So that might be CEOs of healthcare systems. It could be community organizations or nonprofit leaders, that type of thing, that are doing direct work and direct service. And so I was on that call, and the vice president was on the call, and the secretary of health and human services was on the call. And I thought that the call was important. It was like, the call for African-American stakeholders, I'll have to go and actually look and see what it was. Something like, you know, African-American stakeholders, crisis and COVID. And I jumped on that call and it was really informative. So there was really a nice level of information. It was rooted in data and, and saying that we have a problem disproportionately in the African-American community versus America at large or the white community. And so I was listening to that and I was like, okay, this is good. But then I started to hear these overtones of you know, some blame placing, right? Mm. That just, it felt a little, I had to be really careful as I was listening and, and not try, I was really just trying to get the message and not hear sort of these code words. But a lot of it was just sort of saying that the Black community isn't adhering to the guidelines. And if the Black community would just adhere to the guidelines and wash hands and do these things and stay home, then we wouldn't have this crisis. Mm. And I was like, that's not, that is, that is not, the foundation of this problem. And I never heard the issues around why our African-American brothers and sisters do have disproportionately effects around COVID, right? Like why we're disproportionately more, have a propensity towards diabetes and heart disease and asthma than our white counterparts. That was never addressed. It was just that we aren't washing our hands. This is what it was said, and I should have written or recorded it. But basically the tone was, Really, you need to really need to start washing your hands more, and you really can't go out, and you really shouldn't be. And so, started to place the blame on the community versus addressing sort of like how Fauci said, "Listen, this has been here before; it's going to be here after, and we really need to look at this bigger systemic issue." Yeah. And we'll go back to trust later. But we can. What are your thoughts on that, just generally? I think that to me that it brings up a really important question when you talk about inequities tied to race right now, which are, we are all, all of our listeners, you and me, we all come into this conversation with assumptions. No one is a blank slate when we come into this conversation. And I think that it's really important to name that. It's, an, it's important to name that we have assumptions and even processing all these statistics. Because to me, I, time and time again, I feel like people fall or are feel like they have to fall or conditioned to fall between one of two areas, which is who failed here? the individual or the system. And to me, those assumptions, so when you walk into hearing these stats, I think everyone is conditioned to fall one way or the other on that based on two things, your own personal experience. Like, are those things true for me? And are they true for people that I know? So as mm -hmm. a white man who, when I hear these statistics about how this virus is affecting specifically African-Americans differently than it is me, 
I am running this through the grid of, well, do I relate to this? Well, no, because I'm, first of all, a white person. But then the second part of, well, do I know people who are being affected? Like, are these stats coming to life because I know people who have this lived experience? And to me, what I suggest time and time again, this is not just a COVID thing, but if you live and work and play and do all the things of your life in homogenous spaces and you're white, and those, those are white homogenous spaces, then usually I would say you're preconditioned, not permanently, this can be changed, but you, usually you're showing up not having the personal experience of this, of this affecting you or knowing anyone who has, which I think makes it really makes you want to lean towards, oh, it, mu- it just must be what's, what's wrong with the black community that they have these issues going on because I don't have these issues. And it, right. I think it makes empathy difficult from a distance versus so I'd love to kick it back to you and like speak to that and like help our listeners hear what are you processing personally when you hear these stats? Like, is there any initial pushback? Are you thinking, oh, well, the black community has got these things wrong with it? Or are you going a different way? Well, and to take it a step further, then what we do is, so we'll hear the headline that Black community suffers disproportionately from, you know, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, asthma, obesity, right? And so then you say, oh, yep, that's, I've been hearing that for years. Then you assign this, and I've heard this, lazy, undisciplined, you know, uneducated, poor. So, of course, this community is going to have all of these problems, right? And are you kidding me? Like, just like anyone else, the black community, the white community, a Latino community, our communities, they want to be healthy. They want to be able to raise their family with great mental health and great physical health like everybody else. And yet we know that discrimination over many years has created poor, like living wage. Like there's our communities are, in many cases, are living under a living wage. They're not able to feed their families in the ways that they would like to. There are food deserts, so they're not close to healthy, good foods, right? And then when they do have an opportunity to get healthy, good foods, they're expensive, right? So there's a lot of the ties there that we all hear about. So I feel like I'm a broken record here, but then we're just going to say this is like we've never heard a podcast like this before, right? So I'm going to tell it to you again. <laughs> but these systems, are they intersect. They really, truly do intersect. And when you talk about healthcare and you think about, I'm going to go back to this trust issue. So if I do, I am in a family, a co-generational family, right? So it might be, you know, grandkid up to grandpa. And grandpa remembers the testing that was done on Tuskegee Airmen. He remembers the Tuskegee trial, trying to figure out, you know, do the syphilis test. Well, they only chose black communities to do those trials. And so that testing was not only invasive, but it was it was inhumane. Mm. And so when you think about medical providers, and I, this is not a blanket, I love medical providers, all the things, right? But let's, I'm just trying to be real about this. Our community shudders when you talk about having to go to the doctor. Is that doctor valuing my black body in the same way that right. that doctor would value a white body? Do you see me? <laughs> Do you see me in the same way? Yeah. Or... Is it historically less valuable? And so I will historically get less health care. And so then I will historically and predominantly have more health issues. So the trust isn't like this nebulous word, but it is so rooted. We're talking about rooted. It's so rooted and it has so much history in our community. I'm going to just give you one example, but there are so many. And I, you know, I'd ask our listeners to really just sit with that for a minute and just think about it. Like, do you carry and harbor any of that? Do you feel like, yeah, I can see that if a poor black man 
from whatever community you consider to be disenfranchised in your city walks into an emergency room, are you sure, are you sure that that man is going to get the best care that he can get? Or is he going to be evaluated for how much money he makes and if he has health insurance? Right. And if he's valuable to live, like, is it okay? Should we give him the best care? Is he disposable? And Mm -hmm. we're not blind to that. I'm, I'm not in that situation, right? I'm a middle-class woman raising her kid. And, but I, I feel that I I feel personally affronted by what I just said. And I, I don't, don't face that, that scenario I just laid out, but I'm personally insulted by that because that's insane to me that we would assign those biases. And so it does happen. I'm not saying blanket, right? Uh, But I am saying, and there's a stat here in that article that sort of drove that home, that African-American patients receive on average $1,800 less care annually than white patients with the same chronic health condition. And I believe that more, when if you read that article a little bit more, they adjusted the algorithm to try to take everything equal. So everything's yep. equal, everything's equal, yep. everything's equal. The algorithm was like straight on. It was a straight shooter. And still the stat was that African-American patients received on average $1,800 less care than white patients with the same chronic health conditions, which equals black bodies are less valuable. Right, right. Period. And that's just, I mean, that's incredibly... It's incredibly heavy stuff, and I think that you summarize it so well, Jess, when he talks about it, a lot of this boils down to trust. And yeah. to me, that's where I think that it's so important that we don't have these conversations in vacuums around people that only have the same lived experience as us, especially talking to my white brothers and sisters who are listening right now, right? Like when you read these, maybe you need to initially process this in isolation, but don't stay in isolation to process this stuff. Like you, you got to lean in to hear from others lived experience and get close to people who are suffering in ways that are different than you, because that's when your biases are revealed. That's how it's happened for me. Like when I lean in and get proximate to people with different lived experiences, specifically around issues of race. So friends of color, it makes me realize that when I look, I'm predisposed as a white person to give the benefit of the doubt because I receive the benefit of the doubt. You know what I'm saying? So like, when I hear these stats, I'm like, well, I know that the healthcare system is doing its best for me. I'm no, I know that the criminal justice system is doing its best for me. And you want to project that onto everyone else as true when it's not true. Just because it's been true for me does not have been true for you. And I think to me, nothing summarizes that better than when I look on social media right now. And this is heartbreaking. Like this is, this hurts me as like a dad when I see men of color weighing whether or not they put on a face mask to go get groceries for their kids because they know that that puts them, they're perceived to be a threat. When a black man puts on a mask, that is life-threatening because they don't have the benefit of the doubt of law enforcement. And Jess, I've never thought twice about putting a mask on in public. Mm -hmm. And these are men of color who are vulnerably letting us into their struggle and their inner turmoil of whether or not to risk their own health in one sense for the virus or risk their health in another sense to be safe to get home with those groceries. When when you juxtapose that against the fact that right now we're seeing people protest, white people, I haven't seen many people of color doing this right now, but white people (laughs) with AK-47s and ski masks, you have that. You have, a, you have a black man wondering whether they should put a doctor's mask on to go to the grocery store compared to a white man who doesn't think twice, Jess, about his physical safety in putting on a ski mask and holding a gun in a public right. space. Right. That's such a good point. 
and that it really does tell you speak, yeah. <laughs> yeah it really does speak to the privilege too of the United States because you don't see that in other countries I mean just you, you don't see these protests of I'm uncomfortable I don't like this my rights are taken away from me and so I'm gonna you know threaten those around me so that I can get back to center on my level of my bubble of comfort and privilege. Other countries are like, yo, what do we need to do? How do we, yeah. <laughs> let, yeah. we're taking this through together. I mean, other countries have, you know, racial diversity and you don't see that. You don't see this level of supremacy, right? Mm. That our mm. stuff is uncomfortable now and you're telling me what to do and how to do it so we can save other people, but not, you know, like, come on. We need to call that for what it is, and yeah. You know, yeah. and the only, and the best way to do it is to juxtapose our country against others because this is a global pandemic. We're all going through it, and we're the only ones where you see these types of protests. And it's happening. Just, I mean, when you zoom out and you see that our country is struggling the worst with this because of that sentiment, right? right? Of of look out for yourself versus look out for other, and see how we know that that caring for neighbor at best extends to our immediate family or friend circle, but really you're not seeing that level of empathy and care for saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to inconvenience myself or someone of a different race or someone of a different class mm-hmm. like some, to maybe save their life. Like what are, what am I not willing to sacrifice to save the life of someone who is marginalized? And I think that we're, we're kind of seeing like that Fauci quote said, we're seeing just this culmination of how, this racism that is embedded so deeply is being revealed so clearly right now. And it is sobering and we've got to, we've got to face it. And I think that's, yeah. that's one of the things that I'm, I'm not sure of how we solve it completely, but I do think that one of the ways we do that is by getting proximate, which is one of the foundation values of this podcast of, you know, and I'm going to quote Brian Stevenson to the shock of no one, right? Because there's always a good Brian Stevenson quote that applies to this. He's quoted as saying, you have to find ways, no matter what your occupation or your field of study, to get proximate to people who are suffering, to get closer to people who are excluded, to go into the parts of the community that other people say you shouldn't go to. And I know that that last part in quarantine is going to look different, but the sentiment is still the same. Because he said, he goes on to say, if you are willing to get closer to people who are suffering, you'll find the power to change the world. And to me, where this, where this conversation around race and COVID has to go, regardless of where you are on this journey, and I'm going to talk to white people for a second, right? If you walk into this conversation and you don't have this, this lived experience of having to live with the stats we're talking about aren't talking about you, then I think the question isn't, what do I do to fix this? right now. Cause to me, that's what I struggle with. Like I, especially as a white man, I'm just like, all right, I'm hearing all this stuff. What do I do to fix it immediately? How, how do I do that? And I think for me, I'm learning that as I process information, it's more valuable to shift that question. And this is from a pastor out of Chicago, actually, Daniel Hill, who wrote a book called White Awake. So I, I did not come up with this, but shifting the question from what do I do to how well do I see when it comes to that. racial injustice. Mm-hmm. And that has been foundational for me, Jess, because to me, what that points to is, man, the action step from this podcast isn't go fix something. You know, it's not not that we shouldn't be action oriented, but I think we need to think about this as a going on a journey of gaining better sight and seeing this more clearly for what it is. And I think the reason that is so powerful is because as we go on that journey, then I think we'll then know how to act and how to press in and how to address this when we see this as not an immediate to-do list that you have, but really a site issue versus a to-do list issue. 
Yeah, that's exactly how I see this. I mean, there isn't a to-do ish to-do list for us other than to be better and know more, know more and be better, whichever way you want to say it. I, I really believe, I love that we're on a journey. It's about seeing this and acknowledging it, seeing it and getting comfortable talking about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I say things like a value of a black body and you should, our listeners, if you're a white person, you should be able to say, I'm wondering, questioning the value of a black body. You can say that. It's okay to say that. Let's talk about it. It's okay to get comfortable with some of this language, mostly because the situation that we're currently in is giving us all permission to talk about it. You mean you can't, you can use this scenario, you can use the pandemic, you can use the headlines, you can use the article to have an intelligent, thoughtful, provocative conversation with one another where you don't always have to agree on how we got here, which is usually Mm -hmm. where things break Mm -hmm. down is I don't know how we got here. But let's talk about, is this, does this seem right? Would you like to trade places with anybody right now who's, mm. who's in that 80%, who's in those essential workers, who is in a black body and who's suffering from COVID and going to the medical facility? And would you want to, tra- would you be comfortable trading places? That's a great question to talk to friends about. It's not yeah. a scary question. It's like, hmm, I just wonder, like, would you be comfortable? And if you're all saying no, then there it is. Let's talk about that. Because we're all, Robbie uses the term, neighbors, community, brothers and sisters. Like we're, we're in this together. And we, I hope you have friends and coworkers and relatives possibly who don't look like you. So being able to comfortably move in this language and in conversations like this is, I think, the action item, right? And this yeah. this is giving us the permission to do it. It's giving us a path. Like, well, let's talk about what's going on with COVID and the inequities. Let's just chat about it. What do y'all think? That's a, I hope, that's a good one-liner. I'm just, long story short, to agreeing with you fully and saying that my hope for this podcast is that we, in some small way, just model that for our listeners. That if they don't know whether that's possible, listening to us process this stuff, right, as a white man and a black woman together in relationship, like where we're able to show people that it is possible. It is possible to have this conversation and be able to be vulnerable and have your perspective challenged, heard. So I hope that gives people a sense of, of yeah. hope that, that, that they can do it. And I'm not saying, I mean, you and I, this didn't happen overnight, right? Like we, we had to put in the work to get to a place where we could do this podcast together and, and feel like it's a space where we could both be our 100% our full selves, right? Um, yeah. But it is it is possible. And even in quarantine, it's possible to begin this journey no matter where you are from your lived experience and to grow in your knowledge, like you said, and grow in your sight to then be able to see once you are growing in that sight, how do I get part of addressing this? But I think you're right. It has to be I have to get comfortable talking about it first because you're never going to be a part of the action if you don't if you can't even feel comfortable speaking on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And just suspending judgment. You probably hear I can get a little judgy in this because it's very can get real personal for me and and for you. I'm sure you, Rob, and you, the listeners. And so I try to get I try to walk a little line here, and then sometimes I'll tip over, and that's just who you're getting sometimes on this podcast. But but I think that's okay too. Just the emotions, the feelings, the personal experiences, the lived experiences all create the tapestry for the conversation. The conversations will look different based on your experience. And if you don't have 
lots of lived experience with people of color or lower economic, socioeconomic class or whatever, if you don't have those experiences, then that conversation is going to be different and might be a lot of learning, right? You Mm -hmm. sit and you learn and you ask good questions. And so postures change, conversations change. I'm just encouraging our listeners to have them and use COVID and use these headlines as a great entree into some, some good dialogue and you have the support of journalists who are kind of backing it up and it just makes for good. It just makes for good conversation. Stop talking about Tiger King for the day or whatever's <laughs> the latest on Netflix right? and go into something maybe a little bit deeper. And then you can pop back out and go watch the, whatever it is, the last dance with Michael Jordan, which I cannot wait for that next yeah. series next week. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So we, how have we not even, that's gotta, we gotta save that for next episode. That, yeah, that's, we'll a, that's it. its own. Yeah. That's its own thing. <laughs> but yeah, like Rob and I aren't always talking about inequities and injustice. I mean, we are living our lives, which is what we're saying oh. to you. Like live your life, love your kids, you know, watch your Netflix. And every once in a while, venture into these deeper waters of conversation and language that are a little uncomfortable, even yeah. for me. As a black woman raising a, a son, sometimes this stuff is like, oh, I don't, ugh, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to. And the, but then I'm like, girl, you better get with the program. These is your, these are your people. And I'm talking about mm-hmm. all my people. This is just what we got to do. This I'm part of a community. So if if one of us is suffering and hurting, I'm suffering and hurting, and I'm only you know one paycheck away from feeling it in new ways too. So perspective is good. So yeah. let's go after it. I love that. Are I mean, when you say don't just talk about Tyler King, but also, hey, it's okay to be lighthearted. I mean, that's just the fullness of what relationship is, right? Like, and that's how we've structured yeah. every one of these podcasts. Like, we open up and we talk about life and we talk about silly stuff. And, and yeah. we, as humans, we just that's important too. And it sets up it, it, to me, it makes the deeper, more meaningful conversations even possible, right? Like, you, yeah. you know, we, we can't just show up here and just skip all that and say, well, that's that's stupid, that doesn't matter. Like, you can't segment these conversations because we're all people. We all need, I would say both are so needed and which is a great setup for the way we end every episode is what's that show up moment that's needed too, right? It can't just stay in kind of an intellectual exercise. How do we show up? And to me, that's where I think we have something for you, even in this. I know we've raised a lot of questions of which we are saying we don't have the answers, but that doesn't mean there aren't ways you can step forward and show up in response to this conversation. And so I just want to highlight a couple things. First, Jess, I don't think I've officially announced this to you, though, but we, we actually are on social media now. The Just Podcast is uh, has has its own Twitter handle, has its own Instagram handle, the, at the podcast just, at the podcast just. Go check us out. Go awesome. follow us on social media. And we're going to be putting all the articles that we have referenced here today are going to be available for you to be able to do a deeper dive. I know we, we literally just skimmed the surface. We were just in the shallow end of some of these quotes, but we would encourage you, go read these articles for yourself, go process them, and then go talk about them with, with your network. And then also, when I think about one way you can take a step to lean in to address injustice right now, it is come alongside businesses and nonprofits who are led by people of color who are doing the good work serving the most vulnerable and the marginalized right now. And ReCity, the organization I work for, has, has put together a couple guides to make that really easy to do. And that's going to be available on our social media as well. So if you follow the podcast, just you can go on there to see these articles. You can also see a nonprofit guide and a business guide, uh, as well as a COVID resource guide. So we got something for you no matter what. And you're going to be able to lean in to say, who are the leaders in our community right now where I can support their work as a way to 
create a connection, right? And, and maybe even leads to you getting more proximate to suffering and injustice to be able to help inform the way you look at this issue. So I really hope that you'll do all those things. But if not, if you won't do them all, just do at least one. <laughs> at least one. Do one. That's good. Well, I, I would ditto all your show up moments. I think those are great. And that's a lot for folks to sink their teeth into. So I'm not going to add to it other than what I said earlier, which was venture into some deeper waters of conversation. Use this podcast, share it with friends that you think, yeah. and just yeah. say, listen to this. Let's talk about it. What do you, what do y'all yeah. think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I mean, use us as, as the, as the clickbait, if you will, to like get something started. We're good yeah, with blame, that. Um, blame us. Yeah, blame use us. us. Use us as instigators. <laughs> like don't, you don't have to own that you endorsed it. Just like, Hey, what do you think about what Jess and what Rob think said? About you know, said. Like, right. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So that, that's how I would show up and be kind to each other. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're still in the middle of all this. And so, you know, if you read, listen to this in two years, hopefully this won't matter. Well, actually it does be kind always, but especially right now with COVID, just be kind, be kind. We're going to be fine, but we got to, we cannot abdicate our responsibilities to one another to be kind and, and loving. So that's, that's good. it. That's all I that's got. That's good. I love it. All right. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, oh, friends. Until, until next time. Thanks. Mwah. See ya. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Just, a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network in partnership with ReCity and Coastal Credit Union. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 